0: Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio episode number 201. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to
1: discuss Inside Out. This is one I have been waiting to do for a very long time.
0: Yeah, we started talking about this because as the summer came to an end and as kids were going back to school or were getting ready to go back to school, it got you and I talking about some of those classic coming-of-age Disney films. And this is coming off the heels of Turning Red is recently uh, released as of this year, too. So I think it was fair that people started to compare and contrast Turning Red with Inside Out, and that got us talking and that got us thinking, like, we should just do this to kick off the start of the school year, do these coming-of-age films, because they're very different in how they approach certain subject matter, but at the root of it, both of them are very similar. Seeing as Inside Out came out first, we figured we'd bat lead off with Inside Out.
1: Right, and then next week we'll be comparing it to Turning Red.
0: Yeah, so I remember when this movie came out, This was one that we saw its opening week. We were super excited to see it because, first off, the cast is spectacular, right? Anytime you tell me you've got Amy Poehler and Mindy Kaling and Bill Hader and you put them all together and you're giving them the opportunity to represent human emotion and Louis Black, right? Um, who I've seen live, and he is just hysterical. You you just start pulling these, these iconic names and these iconic actors and actresses. You put them together. In this sort of scenario, I thought it was just so genius. And I remember a lot of people were really excited to see this because I feel like Disney is not afraid and Pixar is not afraid to address subject matter that can be sort of adult in nature. But I remember this being the first time that they were doing it in a ways that they were, I don't want to say dumbing it down, but getting it down to a child's level where it is not only approachable, but also very relatable to the target demographic.
1: I think that that was definitely draw the draw for me. I mean, I agree with you. It's definitely an attractive cast. But to me, I was just fascinated with this concept. This is to me what Pixar does best when they explore something so simple that we experience every day and they break it down and they give it personalities. To me, this is on par with, you know, when they pose the question of what if and then they answer it with a film, much like they did with Toy Story. What if your toys were alive yes monsters inc Uh, what if the monster is in the closet yes and in this case it's what if your body has a whole operating system with minds and lives of their own and i just thought that that was so genius
0: yes so i think we've got a lot of questions to answer today where does this rank amongst the other pixar films Did they accomplish what they were ultimately trying to do? Does the film still hold up? This on top of many other things is what we are here to discuss today.
1: This episode is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar inspired 3D straw charms, ornaments, and personalized photo nightlights. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Hidden Mickey Supply Co. on Instagram and Etsy to stay up to date on all of the new releases.
0: We meet five emotions, joy, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger, and the young girl they make up named Riley. We learn of the core memories that make up Riley and how they affect her personality as well as her personality islands. While things start off great, Riley's life is turned upside down when the family moves from Minnesota to San Francisco. Things get even more complicated when sadness starts to touch Riley's happy memories, turning them into sad memories. To try and distract sadness, Joy gives her Riley's manuals to read while the other emotions argue with Joy about whether or not Riley needs to be happy in this moment. Moment When sadness makes Riley cry at school, it leads to a sad core memory, the first of its kind. When Joy attempts to discard this memory, she and sadness, as well as all of the core memories, are sent to long-term memory, shutting down all of Riley's personality islands. Anger, fear, and disgust try to fill in for Joy, but fail, creating tension within the family, and as Joy and sadness try to get back to headquarters, Riley's personality islands begin to fall, leaving Riley as a shell of what she used to be. We also see how memories begin to fade and are sent to the dump, never to return. While walking through long-term memory, Joy finds Bing Bong, Riley's imaginary friend, who tells Joy he can help get her back to HQ. When cutting through imagination, Land, They find Bing Bong's wagon rocket to help them in their journey. However, as Imagination Land begins to crumble, the rocket is sent to the dump. When Riley falls asleep and starts to dream, Joy, Sadness, and Bing Bong attempt to wake her up by interfering with her dream broadcast because they're trying to get on the train of thought to get back to headquarters. The train obviously does not run when you are asleep. So as they try to interrupt the broadcast, Bing Bong is apprehended with Riley's core memories in tow and sent to where Riley holds her deepest, darkest fears, one of which is a clown, which they use to scare Riley, wake her up, and board the train of thought back to headquarters. Anger and disgust, meanwhile, plant the idea in Riley's head to run away back to Minnesota to create new happy core memories. Since... They all came from Minnesota initially. When anger makes Riley steal her mother's credit card to buy a bus ticket, Honesty Island falls, taking the train of thought with it. Joy and Bing Bong eventually land in the dump along with the core memories while Riley begins to run away. As Riley forgets things in the dump, they begin to fade away. While there... They find Bing Bong's rocket and decide to use it to escape the dump. However, it is not powerful enough to take both of them. So Bing Bong sacrifices himself to get Joy back and help restore Riley. Unable to remove the runaway idea from her head, Riley boards the bus as she is unable to feel anything. In Imagination Land, Joy creates a stack of Riley's imaginary Canadian boyfriends to catapult herself and Sadness back to headquarters, where Sadness pulls the idea of running away from Riley's head and restores Riley's core memories— fixing the islands, and gives Riley a new start in San Francisco, where she has core memories that are not just happy, but also sad, disgustful, angerful, and fearful. So, from the start of the film, I think this entire premise is great. I love that upon Riley's birth, the first thing that comes into her head is joy. And rather than having an entire console that controls her, it's just a button that helps her coo and then makes her cry once sadness comes into the picture.
1: Even the design of the headquarters is very simplified. There's not as many memories yet. They don't need the storage that they have as she gets older. Uh, It's just so brilliant. I mean, conceptually, it's brilliant, but the way that they execute it, uh, like you said, that Joy is just like this glowing orb, and she appears out of nowhere and it was so smart to start it off that way not just because joy is our main character but that really is all you know when you're a baby I mean most babies come out crying but as far as a range of emotions go by and large you just have a happy giggly baby so joy is all you need and then the way that they deploy the rest of those emotions as Riley starts to grow and she's got to start watching out for things and trying new things, and they introduce fear and anger and disgust. Like, just, it, it is so brilliant.
0: I also love the quote-unquote job films, much like Monsters, Inc. You brought it up before, right? Where they ask the question, what if? But it's more than just the monster in the closet, these monsters have a job. They go to work. It's their responsibility. I love that they tackle the same thing here and that these emotions are not just what make Riley up, but they're what help execute Riley's day-to-day and how the, the five of them will stand together and analyze the same situation in five different ways. And when one believes that they have it in the absolute correct way, Uh, response they just push the others to the side and just take control of the console
1: to my OCD it's just so satisfying the way that they break down all of these roles and functions and each of these five characters has such an important role to play Um, and I think it was so smart that they went with these five emotions because to me I'm thinking about it in terms of like your primary colors. And I don't mean that in the sense of the character design. I mean in the sense of, you know, you have three colors and different combinations of each will make up the entire spectrum. Right. And in this case, joy will cover optimism. Um, sadness and either disgust or fear will cover Sort of like that ambivalence. I don't think that you needed to represent more emotions with more characters. I think that that would have just overcomplicated things and it just would have been far too busy. So this is just, you know, stripped down and perfect.
0: It is. And I think that the way that they introduce everything, the way that they introduce the idea of core memories, how they make up the person. It's brilliant, but they also do it in a way where it's very quick without seeming like they do it in a way that it's rushed. The beginning of the film is very well paced.
1: I think this is some of the best world building that Pixar has ever done. You and I usually spend a lot of time talking about world building because they did it so brilliantly with Toy Story. Monsters, Inc., the same thing. Um, Though not a Pixar... We, we gave Zootopia a lot of props for the same thing. Yeah. Rocket um, Ralph, same thing. Yes. But I, I think this is just one of the best.
0: It is because I think they do it in a way where it's not only unique and not only is it visually stunning, but it's also completely functional at the same time. And I think that when you're a kid, I mean, I know when I was a kid, I always thought to myself, what would an entire room of French fries look like? You know, when you're like you're six or seven years old. Um, and... I think the fact that you actually dedicate a space to that exact thing in the mind of a child, I think they just made it very, again, they made it very relatable. I think, like, I'm just going to say this right now because I want to get it out of the way. The brilliance of this film from start to finish is how completely relatable it is.
1: Yeah, I'm going to apologize in advance for the my use of the word brilliant and genius throughout this entire review because, spoiler alert, I love this one. Um, so just as we are, you know, We have wrapped our minds around how everything functions. Uh, To your point, we see what's going on on the inside, how it's reflected outward, and how they are working in conjunction with Riley. Uh, We, much like Toy Story, get turned on our head with a move. Yep. Uh, And even though we have seen a move before in a Pixar film, they present it in a completely different way here. Yes. I mean, obviously, you know, the big thing in Toy Story is grab your moving buddy and we see how it affects the toys. Now we're seeing how it affects uh, a, a child. And I think what they did here too is perfect starting us off with Riley as a baby. We grow with her. And now she is at that perfect age where it's not going to be teen angst yet, but her emotions are going to be running wild. And... You know, when you're 11, 12 years old, you really don't know how to control them. You certainly don't at 13 when your hormones are everywhere. Right. Uh, but this was just a really smart choice to put us at that age.
0: Right. Because at that age, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen to you as you move away from all of your friends and everything that's familiar to you? What I love about this is up until this point in time, you're seeing all of the memories that get collected over the course of a day before they get dispersed to long-term memory, they're mostly yellow. They're mostly happy memories. Yes, Joy is very much in control until this move happens. And what you'll notice with the background of the headquarters during and post-move, it's now an array. It's a rainbow of different colors, most of which are not yellow because this is the first time that you're seeing true mixed emotion and I thought the fact that they could play with that and play with the memories and play with the setting and the backgrounds and then that world build that you talked about I thought that it was really an interesting choice and I thought that it was a really smart choice because we know that Riley's got mixed emotions because we're watching these five characters kind of scramble it's different when you see you know I mean it's thousands right it's thousands thousands of these little marbles that represent a memory that represent an emotion to see how many of them are in her head just over the course of that day and how many are different colors. I think it really does a great job of reminding you just how difficult this is for the child.
1: Completely agree. I think another really smart choice that they made was um, having, I think this comes by virtue of having Riley's family originally from Minnesota um but i thought hockey was such a smart choice for her hobby because even though we are following a girl i think by by giving her a sport particularly hockey you gave something for the the boys in the audience to latch on to i think that because we are following, we are inside a girl's head. You could have easily lost your your male audience at that point, but you gave them just enough to grab onto here and have it be relatable.
0: I think they were also smart because Minnesota is known as the hockey state. So you're taking something like Minnesota, where hockey is such a thing, where having that frozen pond in your backyard is not so unique remember before the Lakers went to Los Angeles where there are no lakes they were from Minnesota where there are a lot of lakes so this is not anything that's unique but you're taking them from a setting that has lakes and has trees and has grass and you're sticking them in San Francisco you're putting them in a city where they don't have grass they don't have trees they don't have a pond It's a culture shock in every possible way. And you're putting her far enough away where getting her home is going to take an extreme measure. And obviously that plays out later on.
1: Right. It's a very it adds another layer entirely uh, to your point where they're going from rural to city and to be a part of a team that you're leaving goes one step further than, oh, I have to leave all my friends and everything I know behind. Um, So it's subtle at first, but it does eventually become a big plot point when she tries to get back. So again, just so smart.
0: My only gripe with the film is that, and, and I understand it's the whole premise of the film, but sadness just keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again. She keeps touching the memories. They keep turning them to, to, to sad memories. She keeps doing the same failed thing over and over and over again. I get it. That's the entire premise of the movie. But nobody, it never gets fleshed out why sadness is doing this. The The whole premise of the film is that it's okay to be sad. You don't have to be happy all of the time. It's not normal to be happy all of the time. You do have to be angry. You do have to be sad. You do have to be scared. You do have to be disgusted. I get that's the point of the film. But they never explain what's happening with the character sadness that is leading her to do this after 11
1: years. I did think a lot about that while watching this film because that was a big question that stuck out in my mind was was the why, that uh, that sadness doesn't have necessarily that motivation. The same way that Joy does because obviously she just wants to keep her kid happy, which at surface level seems pretty simple, and that's why Joy gets very protective over Riley. Um, so I I was really... Especially when I watched it the second time, zeroing in on sadness and what makes her start just reaching out and touching these things. Um, Because she's starting to do that before the move, which another really brilliant choice. They plant it the day before that she's starting to tamper with these memories. Right. So that when it's actually time to drop this bomb on Riley and have her get emotional about it. Sadness is already shaking things up, and that's and joy. Even says, We just talked about this, you can't be doing this. Um, so it was sort of a big question mark for me, and I think that they could have maybe addressed it a little bit more. Riley does sort of feed them just as much as they are feeding her, so I think that they could have given us a little bit more to bite into in that regard that Riley does sort of send them cues from the outside about how she wants to feel. Um, And I think again, that plays back into the age because she is learning how to manage her emotions. But there are a couple of other key things that happen where I started thinking in terms of, okay, she is getting this from the outside. Um, but they don't necessarily strike that balance just yet, especially because, um, and this this was something that was really funny that stood out to me, is how each emotion is zeroed in on something that is happening with this move. Obviously, the overall feeling is sadness, but you have anger who is zeroed in on Riley's relationship with her parents and why would they do this to me? And and I'm mad at them. You have fear who is zeroed in on the moving truck, which is now delayed. And oh no, what if we never get all of our stuff back? And then you have disgust who is upset with the state of the new house. Um, So again, it's the personality traits of these characters, but, I thought that that was just so interesting to have them call out to each one of these things. And yes, that is their primary focus. But when you think about that in the context of Riley is experiencing every single one of these thoughts, um, which is ultimately what's making her sad. But it is just so relatable because that is literally everything that is going through your mind. Right. And
0: I think that it's smart ...that this is where the emotions start to wrestle with each other... ...and this is the first time that you're starting to see them argue... ...where anger is the one that says to Joy, like, let us handle this. She does not need to be happy right now. We've got this. Let us do it. Because Joy is just all about keeping Riley happy all of the time... ...which is commendable, but I like that they start to introduce this idea of a friction within the emotions...
1: Agreed. And that's the only thing that I bump on sometimes is that Joy is trying so hard to overcompensate. She's almost meddling. um, and, and sometimes that does annoy me when I sit down to watch this, but it's supposed to.
0: Right. Right. Because you 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 as the viewer understand <clears throat> that not everything is a happy moment. Right. You can't possibly be happy all of the time. And I think you get frustrated on behalf of Anger specifically because he's just trying to do what he's supposed to do, and she is not listening. That's the problem. It's not that you have so much an issue with her cheery disposition on life. It's that she is preventing everyone else from—, from accomplishing their goal from holding up their end of the bargain and what their responsibilities are when it comes to having Riley feel just as a human being.
1: Despite that, Joy still gives it one more college try. She's like, you know, go to bed, Riley's going to sleep, I got this. And then the next morning for the first day of school, she's waking them up with the accordion. Um, I did think that was really clever though, with this train of thought. And she's like, I ordered extra daydreams in case school gets boring or something. And that's where uh, you know, we've we've established the conflict in this film is that these emotions are gonna start Uh, going after each other to be in control of Riley at this point. Um, But then it sort of gives us a moment of comic relief and it pulls us back a little bit and gives us something relatable, like, you know, just these common phrases. Oh, a train of thought, a daydream. Um, So it it kind of is a little nod to the audience to make us see the bigger picture again at this point.
0: Right, and I love that at this point you're starting to see that the newspaper which is known as the mind reader yes. that Anger has been reading, it. Ch- the headlines change um, and not just day to day like a newspaper would, but moment to moment, the headlines are changing in the newspaper that he reads. Um, I thought that this was really smart. I thought that this was a good way of sort of hitting the reset button and giving Joy an opportunity to do the, okay, it's a new day, let's start positive thinking, blah, blah, blah like most people try to do. Most people don't wake up and go, here I am living the dream one nightmare at a time. You know, <laughs> like, she, she's doing what she is supposed to do. Um, and to see where it spirals down as soon as Riley gets to school, because when she leaves and Goofball Island is doing its thing, And she's all happy with her parents who gleefully let her just leave the house and walk through a city that they just moved to the day before. Um, To see what happens as soon as Riley starts to talk about the differences between Minnesota and San Francisco when she gets called upon, which, of course, fear loses his mind because that was like number one on his list is getting called on in school. Um, A
1: list ...miles long of everything that could go wrong today. That that was really clever.
0: When she starts talking about playing hockey... ...and then she starts to cry... ...because sadness touches a core memory... ...and turns it into a sad memory... Um, ...I thought that was a very important moment in the film... ...because on top of the fact that... ...again, and this is the last time I'm going to say this... ...this is the entire premise of the film... ...is sadness touching these memories what it does in in a bigger context is the whole point of the film, which is a happy memory can become sad when you're missing something. Um, And I think that this was a really smart way of introducing it as played out as it does get and as annoying as it gets at times when sadness does it. And sadness calls herself out and says, I don't know why I'm doing this. Like literally says, I have no idea why I'm doing this. But she's doing it anyway. And I think that if they would have given her more conflict or, or done more of what you talked about before, which was play up on the fact that... Because up until this point in time, really what we know is the emotions control Riley. Never once is it introduced that she may have an influence on them. It's never introduced... It's never even said in the film. So if you would have introduced that idea... That the emotions are getting conflicted because Riley is starting to take control. I think it would have made this whole thing a little bit more feasible. But the point is, this is where it starts. This is where the movie starts to turn on its head. Um, I just wish they would have given sadness a little bit more of a reason other than I don't know.
1: We're going to get to that in the next scene because I do have a theory on it. Um, okay, let's I just get to that next hit... scene then.
0: Well, Okay, you finish what you're going to say and then we'll go to the next scene.
1: No, there's just a couple of things that I wanted to hit on as far as Riley's first day of school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 It's something I don't like, but I see where they had to do it. Every time something happens where sadness is acting out, Joy is the one to handle it because Joy is... Driving the plane. Right. But every time you take her away from that board, one of the other emotions gets a hold of it. It's like, why can't those other emotions handle sadness and let Joy try and and help Riley have a good day here? But that's the whole thing, right? Riley's not in control of her emotions. This is a traumatizing thing to go through this move and then have to restart at a new school. So you do have to let the other ones drive. But it is sometimes it I, I do bump on it a little bit that joy is just trying so hard to stop sadness that everything else falls to chaos. and then and then Riley's crying at school. I love right. I love the uh, the outburst of this is the worst thing that can happen. Yes, because it is. Yeah crying is. at school at that age. Oh my god, I I do not envy Riley in this moment. Um, and now from here we start to have some of the personality islands breaking down. and I love that we see it happening inside to her becoming empty on the outside. Right. Uh, just really well done there. Um, to me, this dinner scene after Riley's first day is one of the most brilliant scenes, not just in this film, that Pixar has ever done because you have the three of them sitting there. They, Her parents know this is a sensitive subject that they put her through this move it's her first day and they want to find out what happened. Right. And instead of just focusing on what's going on in Riley's head, we get to see what's going on in the parents head. And yes. I just love, love, love it. Um, I love that they do answer the question of this is going on with everybody. We're not just seeing it in Riley, that everybody is being piloted by their emotions. And here's where I think we answer your question of why is sadness acting out? What I noticed, and I never noticed it before, it was only upon these two recent viewings, joy is not driving mom and dad. No. Uh, Sadness is driving mom, and anger is driving dad. And I think that that is where it comes into play that sadness is just acting out. Because I agree with you to an extent that this whole film is about learning to... Balance happiness and sadness, but I think overall it's more about learning to juggle all of your emotions and being able to feel them, but not letting them take control. And the fact that they are showing that mom and dad are not genuinely happy people, that their other emotions are driving them, I think that that is where sadness is just trying to creep in. And she doesn't really have that much of a motivation, but it is your job on the outside to keep her at bay.
0: And it's the first time that you see extended consoles where every emotion has literally a seat at the table. Because all we see with Riley's console is you have five emotions that are shoving each other out of the way to get control of a button, to get control of a knob. But when it comes to mom and dad because they're older, because they have more life experience, because they're more mature, you have a larger console and everybody's got a spot and there's balance. So while you're right, Joy is not driving either one of them, everybody has an equal share and an equal say in what's going on.
1: And I think that that's just such an interesting commentary too because it is showing, it, it sort of alludes to when you're a kid, you think you know everything. And that you feel everything and you do because you don't have that entire range of emotions yet where, you know, you don't necessarily have to be full blown angry all the time. You don't have to go to that extreme. You can just sort of be pissed off and annoyed and that's okay too. Yeah. Uh, So it is about showing that eventually you will have that control. Um, But I just thought it was such an interesting choice too to show that, like, you know. When you're adult an adult, it, it kind of made me sad to see that those are the two driving emotions in these characters and that they're not joyful.
0: I looked at it as, yeah, I get it. I, I looked at it as um as you get older, there there's that's not to say that you can't be a happy person, but You have different priorities. You have different stresses. It is just a part of growing up. It didn't make me sad. I found that it made them even more relatable. Like, I don't find myself to be an angry person, though I'm angry most of the time. But I'm angry over what? I'm angry over something I see on the news. I'm angry over the state of, you know, current affairs. I'm angry over something that happens at work, right? It's not to say I'm unhappy,
1: right because in this case dad is not a jerk
0: no but it but dad is unhappy with his job that forced them to make this move right and and they don't real i mean mom has that conversation with riley at one point in the film before the islands start to collapse where she says you know dad's stressed out we need to we need to you know keep a, a happy disposition and, and not you know and keep him happy chin and, up for him I thought that that was important, that they introduced that idea as well. Agreed. But um, the foot, I absolutely love the foot. <laughs> I love this DEFCON 5. Everybody's got to put their key in the console before pushing the red button like they're setting off a nuclear weapon. And like, if all the keys aren't in, this isn't going to happen. We all have to be on the same page in unison. I love this entire thing.
1: And mom, with the memory of the, uh, the, the what could have been.
0: Yeah. um. All of it was uh, was spot on. Let's go to long-term memory because at this point now, Joy and Sadness have been evacuated from headquarters and have been sent to long-term memory because Joy is trying to get rid of this sad core memory.
1: I love that they alluded to other functions with the newspaper, but now we get, because Joy and Sadness are going to go on a journey, we get so many different departments of you know the the composition of just how headquarters works is so brilliant but there are just so many other things that make you tick and they broke down every single one of them it's it's just so brilliant like this long-term memory and the memory dump yes it is something that happens to everyone is that you can't always you can't remember everything no unless you're uh who's it mary lou Retton who yeah. just remembers everything that ever happened to her i like i wish you know Well, actually, no, I don't, because then you can't purge bad memories either, if that's the case. That must be a really difficult thing to live with.
0: Quite honestly, I'm just as happy getting rid of the useless information and the useless stuff and the bad memories and the stuff that I don't care. If I don't care to remember it, then it can't be that important.
1: But and that's the brilliance of this memory dump idea of we all forget things like you can't remember, you know little trivia factoids, some memories are forgotten. You know, your parents might remind you of something that happened as a kid, but you can't for the life of you remember, either because you were too young or, you know, you just can't remember. But the fact that they give us reasoning for how it happens is because you have to make room for new memories and new knowledge. And, you know, they're dumping things like president's names or, um the names of, of toys when you were a kid. But my favorite is that they give reason to a random song or a jingle popping into your head when these when these two memory dumpers are like, oh, yeah, sometimes we send that, the the gum commercial up to headquarters for no reason.
0: I laugh at that so hard Every because time. 30 years later, I will just be sitting in my car or I'll be mowing the lawn. And for no reason, out of out of nowhere, and only people of a certain age will understand this. I will just sit there and get do 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 in my head, and I don't know why, and there's no reason for it. But that's the thing. Like I, I probably if I if you ask me to name all of the American presidents sad reality is I'd probably forget one or two but I can remember the stupid Mentos commercial you know what I'm saying and I love that they that they address this in the film
1: that's I, I mean you can't be alone in that because Mentos happens for me all the time because it was so darn catchy and for some reason the double mint commercials same thing uh, those always stuck out to me so I think that that's why the filmmakers chose gum specifically
0: yeah Um, And then you get introduced to Bing Bong, who is so lovable from the start as he is just roaming around long-term memories. And he's just plucking away at memories that he wants to hold on to, which I also thought was interesting. But the weird thing was he wasn't plucking away memories that were fading. See, I thought maybe he would have been plucking away memories that were fading because he was trying to save them as he tries to save himself. I thought it was an interesting choice to have him just take happy memories but they also don't really understand or they don't explain why he's doing it
1: um I I mean I I love the idea of Bing Bong first of all I think that that's just so relatable for every single person who's ever going to watch this film everybody had an imaginary friend but I, I think that's it it's not that you forget about your imaginary friend when you're a kid you just don't utilize them the same way so he's not ready to fade yet I love that they have him just wandering in the abyss. Um, but because he is a figment of Riley's imagination, I think that he's sort of trying to stay relevant. And I think that that comes from Riley's not ready to let him go yet. She just doesn't, she's not going to be talking to him every day the way that she did when she was a kid. Or I don't know if you caught this. She draws him on the wall yes. in crayon. Yeah. That was hilarious too. That was such a good plant. Um, but I, I think that that's the, the idea that it's trying to speak to is that you're not necessarily ready to let go of that part of being a kid. But you're not going to, at 12 years old, be talking to your bing bong, if you will. Correct, correct.
0: Um,
1: but as far as collecting the memories, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just realizing that I never really answered that question. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's part of it, is that you're still trying to feed that part of you that wants to remember. Um, but again, you're not necessarily going to create new memories with your imaginary friends.
0: Right. And I love the fact that he becomes like, you know, he's our wayfinder now to try and get us back. Um, and I love that it, he every time he does it, it, it somehow doesn't really make our lives any better. It's not making our lives any easier. It's just making things more difficult.
1: No, and neither is sadness because at this point she's not even walking on her own. That kind of bumps me. I mean, I do like the visual. Especially just because of Sadness's character design. Like she's so droopy. She looks like she's going to fall over and collapse at any moment when she's at headquarters. And now we see her do it because Sadness is taking over and consuming Riley. Um, But Joy is literally juggling these core memories. Now she's got to pull Sadness along and she's got to try and wrangle Bing Bong. At times it feels like there is too much going on. But I think that that's also intentional because there that certainly is just part of the human experience is, you know, your emotions running wild and it does feel overwhelming.
0: Right. Especially at the age of 11. Right. Like that's that's the whole thing is it's supposed to be that you're kind of not in control of yourself and you don't really know why. Um, but I thought that this is where the expanded world building really starts to make sense um and this is where i think it gets really really well done i love the idea of them going into abstract thought
1: me too
0: i thought that this was absolutely brilliant and i thought that it was fun and i thought that it was funny and it added an extra layer i i think that as time went on there was always something that was causing them to miss the train of thought Mm -hmm. that comes at random I can live with the fact that the train of thought comes at random that's why it's a train of thought but I think the fact that they it was always oh we just missed it or oh we got led into something that prevented us and we just missed it that they did it just enough where it didn't get played out but it was almost there
1: um I don't know, I, I kind of disagree with that because I, I feel like that that's so true. I constantly lose my train of thought. Look at how many edits you have on this episode. <laughs> um,
0: and there are more to come, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> no, um, I th- that didn't bother me. Um, at first, honestly, the abstract thought did. I thought it was just sort of an animation and stylistic flex, but they made it make so much sense when... Um, they turn it on from the outside to try and, and that does, I guess, pull into your train of thought a little bit because they are trying to pl- pluck these abstract thoughts and and make an idea out of them. Um, sure. So I, I think that's so smart. That That's something like you wish you can go back and tell yourself something as a kid. It would be to write every single thing down because you never know. Like, that's the thing. It's very hard to be creative sometimes as an adult when your brain is so cluttered up with other things and stress and you don't have your best ideas. And I I think, you know, part of that was I realized that from watching this film is that when your head is clear as a kid, like that's where your best stuff comes from. And I was just like, man, I wish I had written more things down that you could reference back to, you know, you might've had a spark of a really good idea and, and you've just completely lost it. The only person I know that ever did anything like that was Tim Burton. And, uh, no, don't make the face John Sterling is eyes right now. It, he, he had all these drawings from when he was a kid and it sort of makes his work seem contrived now because it's all similar, but no, that's him referencing back to his best work.
0: Um, I also love, as we start to extend into this universe a little bit.
1: No commentary on my tangent.
0: Nope. (laughs) Okay. All of his stuff is exactly the same.
1: But he's tapping in to what he drew from as a child. I always thought that. I thought it was the same. I thought it was derivative. But no, it's, it's because he is just going back to his best work when his mind was completely free.
0: Right, but he doesn't have a style. He doesn't have a style.
1: He'll say he doesn't.
0: So I love as, as we start to expand on this more and we get to, what is it, trophy world or trophy land, I love how everybody gets first place trophy <laughs> and sadness gets a participation trophy. Um, I thought that that was hysterical. And when you got into imagination land, the house of cards, that falls. Um,
1: what a metaphor. On the nose, but so good. And if you
0: look at it, the king and queen on the house of cards is mom and dad.
1: I didn't catch that. I was too distracted by the giant Disney Easter egg castle.
0: Giant Easter egg castle... Um... And the I love how they played with the idea of the make believe Canadian boyfriend because you've heard Ugh. the the make believe Canadian girlfriend has been played out in cinema where it's always like the nerdy kid has the make believe imaginary... but she lives in Canada so that's if why you've, you've seen
1: never... Avenue Q that takes it one step way further
0: yeah um, but I love that they played up on this and it is like this I would die for Riley with his <laughs> Justin Bieber haircut um which I think actually if if there's any part of this film that's gonna date it it's gonna be that that like Justin Bieber Jonas brother look that will probably date the film down the line but the overall idea won't
1: I don't know because I think what they dressed him in sort of like that it, it's simple white t-shirt. Black button down, it's open, pair of chucks and jeans. I, I think it's good. I think those are all pretty timeless pieces as far as the clothes, but you're right. The haircut, haircut might do it.
0: I also thought that it was important that you had the fall of Imagination Land for the most part. I mean, the make-believe Canadian boyfriend is still there later on in the film, but so much of it starts to collapse because, you know, I think that's the beauty of talking about, like, the Walt Disneys of the world, right, is that they always have that imagination. A Peter Doctor who directed this film, right, always has that imagination. Most people, as they get older, though, they don't daydream anymore. They they don't have imagination. They just kind of wake up, they go to work, they pay their bills, they go home, they go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. I thought the fact that in this moment where Riley's becoming a shell of a human being, to have imagination fall with everything else I thought was a really smart choice.
1: I also think it was smart to juxtapose it with the imaginary boyfriend because in a young girl's mind that's where you do start to lose your inner child and you do start becoming obsessed with boys. And, you know, you don't... It it, it is right at that target age where, you know, you start packing up your toys and putting them away because you're not going to play with them anymore and your focus entirely shifts. And that's it. To make room for boys and all that comes with that. Um, it, It is just such a good metaphor for, you know that lost innocence
0: correct um are you ready to move on to dream productions or do we have more going on in either the trophy or the imagination land
1: um just the one little um when they do eventually get on the train of thought uh the fact and opinion boxes, and Joy's like, these look so similar. That's definitely a, a wink and a nod to the adults in the audience. Uh, For sure. I thought that that was really clever, but I am absolutely ready to go to dream production because just when you think this movie can't get any more brilliant, they give us this world.
0: A movie set. It's, it, it's
1: just sheer brilliance. And then to have Fear piloting Riley at this point and Fear's commentary on like, oh, real original idea here. It, that That's where Bill Hader is. This is just his shining moment. It's so perfect. Yeah. But conceptually, let's break this down a little bit because it's just so smart that they're getting all of the memories uh, that are not going to long term and just stuff that happened during the day. And they're using that to fuel... They call it out a script. Um, This reality distortion filter that they put on the image. It's the whole thing is just perfect.
0: Yeah, I mean, you just said everything I was going to say, so I won't repeat any of that. I'll just say that of all of the great sets and settings in this film, I think this one is probably my favorite. That's that's what I think. This is probably my most favorite of all of the settings in the film.
1: Aside from headquarters, yes. And I I love that they turn this on its head with the idea of, well, we're going to have to wake up Riley. And this is a really important part in the movie, actually, because this is when the idea comes from sadness and Joy realizes that to get out of this, they really are going to have to start working in tandem. And she gives credit to Joy for having a good idea that, you know. You're not going to excite her awake. You're going to have to scare her awake. Right. Um, the, the sight gag with them in the dog suit splitting in half was absolutely hysterical.
0: It was. And you're right. It is important that the idea to scare her with a nightmare comes from sadness. And Joy realizes this as well. And now Bing Bong gets apprehended. And he's thrown into the place where the deepest, darkest fears go. Your subconscious. Uh, The subconscious. And he's got the core memories. And grandma's vacuum is there, right? Like, I love that they even went with something like that. Because I think as a kid, everybody was afraid of something ridiculous. Like, in Home Alone, it's the furnace, right? But we all have that one thing that for some reason scared the daylights out of us as a child. I'll tell you right now exactly what mine was. My dad had won my mom when they were dating. My brother and I weren't even born yet. It was a it was a stuffed gorilla that had a pink T-shirt on that said, like, whatever it was, State Fair or Fireman's Fair 1983, whatever in the hell it was that he said, and they just had it sitting on a shelf in the garage. This thing horrified me. At the age of, like, three and four years old, I finally made my parents... Like, they were cleaning out the garage one day, and I was like like a four-year-old say, throw monkey away. Like, <laughs> I, they had to get rid of this thing. So the idea that grandma's vacuum, like you look at it now and you go, it's a vacuum. What's so scary? I look at it now and go, I had a thousand stuffed animals. I had a thousand stuffed monkeys. You know what I'm saying? Like stuffed animals that I loved, But there was just something about this in the dark garage on top of a shelf. I don't know what it was that horrified me so much, but everybody had that thing.
1: Oh, for sure. Mine was... uh the basement of our house. Um, I was born in Queens and then moved further out onto Long Island when I was six. But the first house that I lived in, I was absolutely terrified of that basement. It, it wasn't dark. Uh, it wasn't finished. But um, it, it was just, I don't know, it was just so creepy like it had paneling it was very brightly lit but like I just never ever wanted to be down there even if my parents were down there it just creeped me out which is weird because in my both of my grandparents houses I would go in their basements and I would play by myself all the time and they were not as well lit I remember like even though I was only six years old I can still picture it and my one grandparents house It was actually pretty dark. There weren't a lot of lights down there at all, but I would sit there and I would play because that's where, um, you know, they kept some of like the, the holiday decorations and storage and things like that. And I would sit there and play with all that and they would just leave me down there and it was like nothing. But for whatever reason, the one in my house, I wanted nothing to do with it.
0: So you got the vacuum there. You've got the clown there. The clown is what they use to wake her up. The clown that's just obsessed with the birthday party and he carries that large hammer around.
1: And I love that fear essentially has like a heart attack before he ultimately wakes Riley up.
0: The whole thing is great. Um, And then I love how the islands truly start to fall the minute that anger takes control of the console. I thought that that was poignant. I thought that it made sense because when you just lash out in anger, that's when... Your personality, your relationships, when your islands are going to fall. And he's doing it unapologetically. He doesn't care because he's saying, I'm doing the right thing. And, and disgust isn't really doing much to help the situation either. So I love that in that moment, that is what is causing Riley to completely collapse upon herself.
1: Right, because now the idea of running away is being completely fueled by these negative emotions. And I like that they even call it out when anger plugs the bulb in and he's like, well, she took it.
0: Yeah, yeah, she took it. I, yeah. I she took the idea. We gave her the idea, but she took it. And at this point, you're not only starting to see how anger and disgust are coming together mm-hmm. and kind of pushing fear aside, This is where you're starting to see the real fracture between joy and sadness, because this is where the there I think they call it. What was it? The recollection tube or or whatever recall recall. They can't both go in because if sadness is in there, all of the core memories will turn to sad core memories. Joy is willing to abandon her and leave her there. Yes. Say, I've got to make her happy. That's my responsibility is to get her back. It's a very tough scene to see that Joy, who only wants to act in happiness, is willing to abandon somebody that she's been with for all but 33 seconds of her existence. And it's, But, but it kind of tugs at you because it's like, on the one hand, she's trying to save Riley and she's trying to make her happy. But at the same time, it just seems like the complete opposite of what a joyful person would do is to just abandon somebody and leave them behind.
1: Yeah, I think that was probably one of the bigger challenges of this film is that our characters are representing emotions, but to have a complete character, they still have to have that full range. So where you wouldn't necessarily think that Joy would do something like this, um... Just as a character to give her her full arc, she has to do something cutthroat to back up what is motivating her. So it it might not seem to make sense at surface level, but like you had to. You had to do something like this.
0: You did. And what that also does is that gets her thrown into the dump and Bing Bong ends up down there as well. Um,
1: right because they're on this is as Riley is running away they are on family island and when the kid when her parents say have a good day at school she knows she's not coming back home right. so then family collapses right
0: so now Joy and Bing Bong are in the dump they find the rocket
1: well the it wasn't just down there like Riley had forgotten about it. I don't know if you caught this. It was in the pile uh, when they were scrapping Imagination yes. Island. Bing Bong tries to save it as it goes over. So right. it was it, it was a subtle thing that they did and you think it's only going to affect Bing Bong. But Joy remembers that it's down there. So, oh God, this movie, it's, it just blows my mind how there there is not a scrap wasted.
0: Let's talk about the scene.
1: Let's not. Speaking of sadness.
0: Um, I mean, look, I don't need to set the scene up for you. We all know what happens. And this moment, it, it's still... Um, I think it's still effective. But, and it's still sad. It does not, for me at least it doesn't hold the same way it did the first time. I, I There are certain scenes in certain films that I can see over and over and over again, and they will get me every time. On your left will get me every time. Um, The last 10 seconds of the hockey game in Miracle will get me every time. But there's something about this that still works but it doesn't strike me the way that it did the first time we saw the film and it could just be it could be because I'm building myself up to it now
1: um i will give you that that the shock value wears off a little bit but i mean the moment just stabs you right in the childhood and not to mention i mean take that out of it just in terms of this film, we are losing a character that we've grown very attached to. Um, but yeah, the the metaphor of losing your childhood, it gets me every single time. That to me is on par with so long partner, uh, the end of Coco. I I am just left in a puddle every single time I see this When he take her to the moon for me? He, just when he whips his head around when he's lying face down and he checks to make sure that she makes it and he's he's just there and he knows he's not getting out. Um, yeah, and then they twist the knife on, take her to the moon for me. Good Lord.
0: Even still, it is one of the best scenes that Pixar has ever done. Yes. Hands down, not even close. Um, have you noticed that as Riley's emotions changes, so does her wardrobe, that now we are, we are full runaway mode. She's no longer wearing, you know, her her nice sweaters and her jeans and she's got her hair done because Disgust wanted her to look a certain way on that first day of school. Right. Then it was jeans and a hoodie. Now she's just in like a black shirt with black pants. I believe it was black pants. Even if it's, it's irrelevant. She does not look or dress the way that she did anymore by the time you get her into the runaway scene
1: that's that's really interesting that you picked up on that because I wasn't thinking about it in terms of her emotion at all I was completely focused on how it's plot driven because when she goes to steal the money from mom mom is trying to light up the moving company because they still don't have their van so it works for both because she's running out of clothes
0: right right um But I think that at this point in the film, this is where obviously you're getting towards the end of your third act, right? And you need joy and sadness to reconcile. But the weird thing is, Joy's trying to apologize, but sadness, for whatever reason, instead of having her moment when Joy comes back and apologizes, Sadness is still trying to run away because she has accepted the fact that she has done this to Riley, that she has been the root cause of all of this, and she's trying to kind of just hide herself in long-term memory, not to be found again.
1: Right, which is a really good character arc moment for her, too, because as soon as her and Joy were ejected from headquarters... um. And the islands start to shake a little bit. Sadness does say, there's there's no you up there. You have to get back. And even Sadness doesn't recognize that they have to learn to coexist with each other to make Riley function. Correct. So it is a good, a really good placement for that one last conflict and one last obstacle that Joy is going to have to overcome to get back there.
0: Right. And then once they get back to headquarters... Um it was important I think that sadness was the one to remove the idea from Riley to remove the idea from the console. Yes. Because you needed to give her a purpose and the her purpose was that it's okay and it's normal to be sad and to get sad at happy memories. We all have memories of people, right, that make us happy. And then you get sad because some of those people are not here anymore. That's not to say it's a sad memory. It's just to say that you're sad thinking about that moment that is inherently happy. I think that it was important for them to do that because at the age of eleven, you know, I I, I lost my first grandparent when I was thirteen. That I well, no, that's not true. I lost my first one before I was even born. The you first one I are. lost That I could remember as a child was when I was 13. And I remember, you know, I I lost one of my neighbors around the same age, and one of the kids at school lost a parent in an accident. It's, you kind of start to get into that age where it's not uncommon to start having those events happen. So I think that for them to introduce the idea that at 11 years old for Riley, that you can have. Memories that are not clearly happy, sad, fearful, disgustful—that you could have something that's happy and yet sad and yet made you angry at the same time. It it's sort of—I uh, I, I like that they that they introduce that here.
1: I like how they also did it with the visual representation because I think that that's something that will help make kids understand it a little bit better. How uh, they have the same memory of the hockey game where at one point Riley is being lifted up by her team but that's after they lost the game and that's when Joy discovers that she needs to live with sadness because she sees her happy memory of it and she realized that it's also blue and with that color change that's going to make it easier for kids to see how something can become bittersweet that you can have a happy memory that is tainted or you can have a sad memory that you can look back on uh, fondly because you learned something from it. Um, so I think that that was just really smart um, and, and a good way to tie everything all together of how they are going to learn to live with each other.
0: Yeah. Do you have anything else on the plot here before we move on to our star studded voice cast?
1: I. Uh, no just that they completely stuck the landing um because you know after uh they remove the idea to run away obviously riley's gonna repair things with uh her parents but i love how they not only go into the minds of the parents but any other like minor characters that we've met we've seen the inner workings of their brains we see the dog and the cat um i just love how they you know, bring that out over the credit roll. I thought it was so well done.
0: Right, and how Riley's console expands and she's got more islands that pop up.
1: And a puberty button. That was, oh, that kills me still. So brilliant.
0: All right, let's talk about the cast here. Amy Poehler is Joy. And I thought that Amy Poehler was absolute fantastic casting for this role. She was perfect.
1: She absolutely was. Um, I also wanna, while we're talking about character, talk about the design a little bit too because this was something that Pixar took really good care of as far as, you know, what is the visual representation of your emotion? And with Joy in particular, they wanted her to obviously glow and exude that happiness all the time, but that really presented a challenge as far as her being a light source. And how her light is going to fall on people, on, on these other characters. Um, and it's not necessarily going to cast a shadow either. It's going to create more light. So they really had a tough time with that that first scene where she just appears out of nowhere. Um, but I think they handled it so well. And I, I, I just absolutely love Joy. I think the voice is perfection. I think the character design is perfection. She's just... Fantastic.
0: So is Phyllis Smith, who plays Sadness. She absolutely nailed this character.
1: Yeah, more perfect casting and more... Uh, the design is is just flawless. Like, they gave her that hunched-over look because what do you do when you're sad? You do just kind of want to curl up in a ball, and, and they had her in that posture right up until she gets to, to long-term memory and decides she can no longer walk.
0: Yeah, Lewis Black plays anger, my favorite character in this film because not just of how he acts and what he says, but the aesthetic look stocky yes. he's got that he's got the shirt and tie on but the top button is unbuttoned and the tie is just pulled down like he arrives at work and he's had it already. He's the supervisor that hates his life. he's the supervisor that hates his staff and he's just miserable all of the time. It was the right casting. It's the right look, and I thought that they absolutely nailed him.
1: I completely agree. He just looks like he's quick on the trigger, and he is one of my favorite gifts of all time.
0: I use it a lot. Yep, more it says than a I lot should. about me. More than I should. Mindy Kaling plays disgust. She's funny. Um, she nailed like this. I'm not going to call it a Valley Girl thing, but she nailed kind of that vain judgmental personality that I think... I know they struggled with this character in its development, but I think if of all the ones they struggled with, this was probably the one they nailed the best.
1: I I would agree. I think it was a smarter choice to make her disgusted by everything than be disgusting. Um, The only thing that I sometimes bump on is that I don't feel like she represents Riley because Riley is for the most part, like a happy bubbly kid because she's run by joy. You know, we said it, Uh, but Riley's not like a mean girl. That's, that's the only thing where I feel like sometimes the discussed character doesn't fit the overall personality, but I guess you could make the argument that that is part of keeping the balance like Riley is allowed to be disgusted by things like the dead mouse in the apartment, you know? Um, But I, I think they might've gone a little bit too far with disgust being stuck up because that's not in Riley's nature.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, Bill Hader plays fear and Bill Hader is such an incredible character actor that I'm not sure that you could have found somebody better than him to play this character.
1: I agree. He gives fear the perfect nervous Nelly quality, but at the same time, I love how they didn't make fear fall to pieces in every single scene. Like, When Joy asks him, give me a list of the the worst case scenarios, he does have a solid list and is trying to troubleshoot. It's not just like, okay, here, Joy, I'm going to go curl up in a ball and, and be afraid of everything all day. Or in the dream sequence, he's not sitting there like, oh my God, I hope we don't have a nightmare. I like that they figured out a way to make fear strong in character, but visually you see him get paralyzed by fear. I think that noodle design that stiffens up every time something bad happens was was just perfection
0: richard kind plays bing bong uh richard kind we also know him from bug's life i think richard kind is good in basically everything and i thought that he just gave bing bong such whimsy and so much life that this this might be in, in terms of voice casting this might be one of the most perfectly casted films we've ever discussed on this show.
1: I would agree. Um, for me, the other thing about Bing Bong, and I think this is why it's so hard to let him go, the way that Richard Kind portrayed this, um, it reminds me of so many of Dom DeLouise's characters, and I think that's why it like stabs me in the heart a little bit more when it's time to say goodbye, because... Dom DeLuise was such a big part of our childhood as far as voice acting. So it's, it's kind of twofold, but just so well done.
0: Caitlin Diaz plays Riley, and I think that this actress did such a great job because she nailed the extreme waves of emotion from anger to sadness to fear to joy. I mean... As good as all of the characters were that portrayed the emotions, she did just as good a job mirroring those emotions in her performance.
1: Right, because when you think about it, it's five different voices, but she only has one. So like even in the dinner scene alone, mm-hmm. when she has to go through disgust, anger, and fear and respond to her parents in each of those ways, it, it, she handled it beautifully.
0: Diane Lane plays mom.
1: I always forget that. So did I. I, mean, I totally
0: forgot. She, she did is good, the though.
1: quintessential mom though, right? Like as as soon as I heard it, I was like, well, of course, because Jack. Also in San Francisco, funnily enough.
0: Yes. Yeah. I didn't even make that connection. I love Jack. That's one of my favorites. And then Kyle McLaughlin plays dad. I know him better from the Flintstones movie, which says, again, <laughs> a lot about me. But uh, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. It's. They're just mom and dad. I hate to say it like that, but they're just mom and dad. But that's not to say that they did a poor job with it. I think that both of them did a good job of being funny, being likable, and being characters that you're sympathetic towards just the entire time.
1: I feel like they do sort of feel a little bit plot devicey because you don't really give them full arcs but giving us the look inside their head is what puts it over the top and stops them from feeling completely flat. Final
0: thoughts on Inside Out.
1: Um I'll go first if you don't mind because yeah. I- I'm just going to keep this short and sweet. I'm giving this one a big old perfect. Um it's pretty flawless. I mean, I mentioned a couple of things that I bumped on, but like I said, most of those things are done intentionally to create conflict. You're supposed to be annoyed by them. And as much as I love the world building and how perfect everything functions, you can't have a movie of perfect function. You need conflict. um, And they just execute it perfectly. That's the whole thing. This was a brilliant concept for a story with absolutely perfect execution. And it just gives you so much to think and feel about and it holds up the mirror i think into our own lives and and that is just what pixar does its best
0: i gave it a perfect score as well and i'm just gonna bury this now and it'll mirror the same thing i said in our d23 recap that we just dropped this film does not need a sequel they announced a sequel this past weekend at the d23 expo I suppose we're gonna press the puberty button on Riley, but we kind of just did that with turning red, which we're gonna discuss next week. This, to me, is not a film that requires a sequel, because, I mean, you're not—you can't focus on a different kid, because then you have to recast everything, and then it's just the same movie done twice. So, I mean, what are you gonna—are you gonna do Riley at this point now? Could you do Riley going into college? Or graduating and going into the workforce and starting to become jaded like her parents, you could, but the question is, why? You know what I'm saying? Like, do we necessarily need this? We don't really know an awful lot about it. We just know that Inside Out 2 is coming. And to me, this is a sequel for sequel's sake. I don't think we need a sequel. I don't think most people want a sequel. And I think that you have to be very careful how you do a sequel because it's going to be very easy for them to just do what they did a second time and make it a rehash of the original. Monsters, Inc. works because it's the same characters learning a craft. It's not a sequel to Monsters, Inc. I, I feel like you there, there's a line here that you have to toe
1: Right. And you're not going to do a prequel to this because... I, m- I mean, they said it's Inside Out, too. It's not a different name that's right. going to be a prequel. And you can't because we've already seen Riley grow up. Um, I think they're walking a fine line here because we're attached to the characters as far as the emotions, but we're not necessarily attached to Riley in that same way. right um, So the question is going to be, do we care what happens to her post this traumatic event in her life. Um, I think we sort of have to consider the time jump. Um, So this movie was 2015 and she was 11 or 12. Um, So that's seven years ago. That's going to put her, like you said, in college. Um, I, I would say moving into college is going to feel contrived because we just saw her move. I would say maybe like a go through, put her through a breakup, maybe.
0: Do we care enough about that? It's, it's your question. Do we care enough about Riley? I don't think the answer is yes. So I don't think you necessarily need a second film. I would like, if you wanted to keep the inside out universe going and you wanted to tackle new obstacles I'd rather they do this as like sh- either shorts or do it as a series on
1: Disney Plus. Well, they did do a short. It's actually really cute of quote, Her first unquote. date, yeah. right? But that's it's not really Riley centric. It's Dad.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying like if you want to keep it going, I'm fine doing more of those. I'm my point is this movie is just so perfect that I'm not excited at all over the idea of a sequel. I mean, and I've been saying that to you since before we reviewed this film, this movie does not need a sequel.
1: I love this one so much, but this is not one that I'm afraid that they're going to ruin with a sequel. I just think that they did such a good job and there's so many directions you could take this in. Um, obviously, you know, Riley is older. We're going to have a lot more departments within her body. Um... We're going to see the whole range of the console should they choose to stick with Riley. um, I I don't think we needed it, but I don't think we're going to feel like we lost anything just because they did such a good job with this one. I I think they're going to be careful with it and they're going to. I think it's going to be another really good execution.
0: We're going to have to wait and see. We want to hear what you have to say about Inside Out. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us, Radio at gmail.com. We are going to take a quick
2: break, and we will be right back. If you are thinking of booking a trip to a Disney destination, you have to contact Jackie Zalesi from Magical Vacation Planner. My husband and I recently celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary and wanted to go on a trip, just the two of us. Jackie suggested Disneyland, knowing we'd never been and I had been dreaming of going. I am so thankful for her suggestion, as it was the most magical way to celebrate. Jackie got us a fantastic deal, but still constantly check for discounts to make sure we are guaranteed the lowest price. Having recently visited Disneyland, she was a great source for helpful information and had suggestions for everything, including meals, Max Pass, even places to visit in Los Angeles on our non-park day. Upon arrival at our hotel, we experienced the easiest check-in because Jackie had taken care of everything. Throughout our trip, Jackie was in constant contact, making sure we had everything we needed and answering any questions we had. Our vacation was perfect. All thanks to Jackie Zalesi from Magical Vacation Planner. So
1: if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can visit MagicalVacationPlanner.com, fill out the contact form and request me as your vacation planner or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I at MagicalVacationPlanner.com Hi this is Kelly from Karma & Kismet your official monorail news sponsor and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news but before I do that I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney inspired art at designs.com.
0: Don't forget listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code Monorail 10 at checkout be sure to see all of the services that Kelly has to offer at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. She is our monorail news sponsor. However, we don't have a news to report right now because, well, that was our entire conversation yesterday was our... Dockside chat and our D23 recap so we're not going to bother hashing all of that out again you can go and listen to yesterday's episode that dropped to hear all of the news that came out of D23 and how we reacted to all of it including our reaction to the announcement that we are getting a sequel to Inside Out but we want to know. What you have to say about what you heard at the D23 Expo. Were you there? Were you lucky enough to get into the panels? What from the films, from Disney+, from the games, from the parks are you most excited about? We want to hear from you. Radio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget that you can like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice don't forget as well to find us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. And for links to everything related to the show, it is online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.